0: Amen. I'll tell you what, I think if your heart is open, God has probably already been speaking to you. Team, I just want to thank you for leading us in worship this morning. That is... Uh, <laughs> it's powerful. It's, it's, it's really good to worship Him through the week, but there is something special when we get to come together like this and just sing to the praise of His glory and study His word to the praise of His glory and hear stories of what God has done, is doing, and wants to do And we have a special speaker with us this morning that I get to introduce to you. Her name is Beth Guckenberger. And you may have uh, met Beth before, heard Beth before... Uh, This is the first weekend that I actually get to hear her speak, so this is exciting. (laughs) So um, we are welcoming her here today. Now, Beth and her husband, Todd, are the executive directors of Back to Back, which is a ministry that you have probably heard of if you've been around Horizon. They've been friends of Horizon for a long time. A number of our global serving trips have happened through Back to Back. Um, They have a presence in a lot of different places in the world, and so it's really exciting just to have her here to share with us. Uh, But one thing that I thought, for for all the things that she's done and all the trips that she's made and all the books that she's written, one thing that I found most incredible about her when I found this out, because a lot of people come to me and say, Four kids, how do you do it? Beth and Todd have loved and raised. 10 kids (laughs) so i would ask you how do you do it Uh, but i know today she's going to be sharing with us as we jump back into the book of luke into the life of jesus and what it looks like to trust god as part of our startup series so would you please welcome beth with me
1: good morning horizon it's uh, gosh it's my joy to be here he's right i have felt like a friend of this community for a long time so it just feels like coming home when i get to be here and be back we have I've sat in some of your Bible studies and worshipped with you on Saturday nights and Sunday mornings, and I've traveled with some of you to some of the back-to-back locations. And so I just recently returned from Mazatlan with many women from your congregation. I brought a picture of it just so you can see. Um, it's real. Now, this is a night we went out to dinner. We don't always look this nice on a mission trip, so I don't want to have any false advertising. You don't always wear, like, a cool scarf around your neck on a mission trip, but... I do want to take the opportunity because pretty much every time I get a microphone, I say it. We would love to have you come and meet and serve alongside of orphan and vulnerable children with us around the world. Because what happens on a week like that is actually more than just what you imagine when you go. You think, I'm going to go and help people that, have, that are marginalized or have needs. And I have resources and I'm going to go share my resources with those that have need. But it's actually so much more than that. These women and I talked about what it was like to expect God to be God and today as we open up the book of luke that's really where we're going to sit and that expectation of wanting god to be god has nothing to do with geography it has everything to do with understanding who he is what he's capable of his power his sovereignty and his willingness and readiness in a moment's notice to enter into the stories of our lives so uh, i I actually learned how to speak like this. Um, first, my husband and I lived in Mexico for 15 years, and I first learned how to do this in Spanish. And when you stand in front of a Hispanic congregation and you say something that they like, they tell you right there in real time. And then I moved back here to the United States three years ago, and when you say something that people like in a church here in the United States, they take notes, which is totally different. So, um, If you want to say something back to me, it will not uh, throw me off my game. It just will make me get kind of all worked up. But we're going to be inside of the startup series, specifically today, talking about trusting God and trusting him marvelously. The passage we're going to read is from Luke chapter 7, verses 1 to 10. But I actually want to start with a punchline. The punchline is, at the very end, Jesus says to a man, this centurion, these words I say to you I have not found such great faith not even in Israel and I remember when I was reading and studying for this passage I was like this is someone whose eyes roam th- over the whole earth searching for people whose hearts are completely his it says in second chronicles I mean he sees everyone all the time he sees their measure of faith and the ways in which they act out of their their understanding of faith and if he says this guy he's not found anybody with faith quite like him, then automatically we know he's worth our attention and our understanding of. So um, I'll read to you Luke chapter seven, verses one to 10. It says, now when we concluded all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum and a certain centurion's servant who was dear to him was sick and ready to die. So when he heard about Jesus, he sent elders of the Jews to him, pleading with him to come and heal the servant. And when they came to jesus they begged him earnestly saying that the one for whom he should do this was deserving For he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue Then jesus went with him and when he was already not far from the house The centurion sent his friends to him saying lord do not trouble yourself For I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof Therefore, I did not even think myself worthy to come to you But just say the word And I know, that's my own word, I know, say the word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man placed under authority, having soldiers that are under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another one, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turned around and said to the crowd that followed him, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And those who were sent returning to the house found the servant well who had been sick. I think I've been saying a lot lately that I can struggle with wanting to fix things that God actually wants to heal. That I can spend mental and emotional energy and resources and time and conversations and efforts towards fixing something that's got me all tied up in knots. Maybe it's a circumstance or a relationship or a problem that I'm anticipating. But God, God longs to heal. He wants us to allow him space so that he can do that, which he's always and already designed to do. In Exodus chapter 25, there's this passage where God is talking to Moses. And he's instructing those Israelites how to build a tabernacle for him. And he says these words, if you build a space for me, I'll come and fill the space. I'll come and make, I'll come and be inside the space you fill for me. And I think that today he's saying the same message to us. If you make space for me in the middle of the storylines that have you all worked up, whether you love someone who's sick like the centurion did, or or you're worried about something you feel like may happen or may not happen, or or broken relationship, or whatever's got you worked up. If you make space for him, he longs to come into that space and heal what we spend too much time trying to fix. The centurion trusts, He, he trusts that God has the power to heal. And then I learned a lesson in a kind of funny little way about this almost 10 years ago, Todd and I were living in Mexico and about every six to eight weeks, we would make a run up to Texas to buy what we called border goodies. They were like cheddar cheese and peanut butter and powdered iced tea and the kinds of things we couldn't buy in Mexico that we thought we couldn't live without. And we were one day up in Texas on a shopping day and we were walking through a Texas outlet. And I don't have any other way to tell you other than I walked by this store and I saw this purse in this window and I swear it started singing at me. I was just like, oh my gosh, look how cute it is. And I walked by it like four times and it was way out of my price range and I frankly didn't need it. And it was suede and lilac and kind of small. And and like Drew told you, I have 10 children, and I work in orphanages, and I probably should have been carrying something like an army duffel, not necessarily a suede lilac overpriced purse. But when I walked by it for the fourth time, I just answered its call, and I went in and I bought that thing, (laughs) and I carried it around in the funniest of places in the following weeks, the squatters, villages that we were serving, the orphanages until like you know a hot second later it was stolen out of my car and i can remember when it was stolen just to give you insight into my broken theology i thought to myself well i deserved it i shouldn't have even bought that thing in the first place i'm so sorry lord i knew better and to further punish myself i started to carry my eight-year-old daughter's purse instead i didn't even replace it so here i am like a grown woman carrying this like little girl purse That was fine for a few weeks, and then I was coming to the United States to speak somewhere. And I remember landing at the airport, looking down at my shoulder, realizing how crazy I looked, and thinking these people at this church are going to be like, who is this girl? So on my way from the airport to the church, I stopped into a strip mall that I was unfamiliar with, but I thought maybe there's just like someplace I can replace a purse. So I, I pull in, and there was no like obvious choice of a store to go into, except there was like a luggage store. And so I thought, well, maybe this luggage store has something that I could use. So I go in and I see this leather backpack hanging on the wall. And I was like, okay, like it's super practical, but it's also kind of cute, you know. So I grab it and I go to the front um, to pay for it. And the lady tells me how much it's going to cost. And it was about the same price as that little suede purse was. And I said, oh, no, no, no. I have learned this lesson before. I will not be purchasing this. And she was like, okay, you know, I'm sure she was thinking there's a price tag on it, you know. And I just bolted out of the store and I went to the church right went on and spoke that evening and then later that night I drove to my mom's house who lives here in Cincinnati and she has our U.S. mailing address when we were out of the country and I'd had a birthday since I had last been in the U.S. so she had gathered some cards and stuff that had come to the house for me and I sat on the edge of my childhood bed and I started to open up these birthday wishes and there was a package there from my college roommate and as I opened up this package as soon as I realized what was inside The first thing I said out loud really to Jesus is, you are always reintroducing yourself to me because I was positive you did not care about purses. (laughs) Inside of that package was that leather backpack I had just held in my hands a few hours before then. And I, I just was like, you've got to be kidding me That night I laid in bed and I was trying to put all the pieces together at that point I had learned that my roommate had purchased that backpack before I had even lost the first one And I told the lord Like all the wasted mental and emotional energy. I spent on that dumb purse, right? Like beating myself up being mad at the thief all the all the ways in which I tied myself up about that thing I now know he had already put into motion a solution to a problem. I hadn't even had yet And I thought about the other things that I get myself all worked up about, right? People and places and problems and situations. And I'm like, could it be possible that right now you're actually already at work in those storylines? And I don't need to waste a minute of mental and emotional energy on that. Could I just trust that you are already God doing it and being about God-like solutions to human brokenness? Can I trust you to do that? I couldn't even think about how to pray. The only word that came to my mind was this word, amen, which means so be it. And I just kept saying that word, amen. And I don't even know if this will make sense to you this morning, but it felt like that word was pregnant. Like when I said amen, it was just like full. And I literally felt as I said amen, like I just made space for God. And then I said all the things I normally say in prayer, right? Like I confessed my sins and I said, I told him what I wanted. And when I was all done with that prayer, I finished it acknowledging who it was I was talking to. I was like, oh dear Jesus. And I realized Man, in that prayer, more than any prayer I'd ever prayed before, I trusted him with the result. I wasn't trying to convince him or manipulate him or talk him into anything. I just trust. So be it. You're sovereign. You're good. You're powerful. You actually want what is good and right for me. I can trust you. And I, I, I've been praying that way, really, for the last 10 years. That's how I start my prayers, is with that word amen. But we have this other competing voice that's always whispering in our ear. Things like he's not on the he's not on the job, and what he wants isn't good, and he forgot about you, and he's dropping the ball, and like he's this enemy that we have in the story of our lives is constantly berating us with lies. And this last August, Todd and I were sitting on the front porch of our house, and we were talking about how we had had a really hard week, just a really hard week. It just felt like we used words and and them like attack like it felt like we'd been spiritually attacked our bodies and our children and our ministry and our marriage it was just a hard week and the next day he was getting ready to travel to India with our ministry um, to our, our india site and we were actually having the conversation whether or not he should even go because i like fighting better when i'm right next to him but we decided no no we're not going to let this enemy win We're going to trust God to be God. We're going to continue the assignment that he has for us. Todd left the next day to go to India, traveled that whole day. And I was trying to remember this verse. You know how like when you hear people say a verse like on the radio or on a stage like this, and you don't actually memorize it in the moment, but you remember the principle. There was a verse that I had in my mind, but I couldn't find it. Finally, later that day, I located it. It's Luke chapter 10, verse 19. And it says this, behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Nothing shall by any means hurt you. And that last part is what I had remembered. Nothing shall by any means hurt you. So that whole day, once I found it, I wrote it down and I was just repeating it to myself, to my family to everyone that i was coming in contact with nothing can harm you we have a god he is big and strong you know the next day i woke up and todd had sent me this little iphone video and um i just want to warn you this was like a a little message between a husband and a wife he had no idea i was one day going to put it on a stage so um, i'm just giving you that context right off the bat but he had he had this video he sent me and he said And I actually hesitate to show it to you because here's the deal. I want every one of you to come to India on a mission trip. Every last one of you, I want to come. And I'm afraid if you see this video, you're thinking, I am not setting foot in that country. And I'm telling you, I've been there many times. I've never seen anything like this but he watched them catch a king cobra outside of where our ministry campus was and he took a video of this snake catcher catching this king cobra and he said and the way that they do it is they have this little tiny piece of snake cartilage like a little piece of cartilage from their brain if you're like into animal planet this is how it works and when they show this little tiny you won't even probably be able to see it on the video show this to the snake the snake has to obey it it's terrified of that cartilage and it just goes back into the bag that you have caught him in and he was watching this process and he said to me beth i was watching this and i was feeling to myself like that that little tiny rock was like the name of jesus it doesn't actually look all that impressive it's just a few words but when you show that name of jesus to the snake he has no choice but he has to go back in the bag so um watch watch this video and see what you think Yeah, don't be afraid. There it goes. Right? Now, every time I've ever shown it, people want to see it twice. You want to see it again? (laughs) I warned them back there I'm going to talk over it But feel free to play it again So they can just make sure That they remember that they saw it Here's the deal When we let these snakes run around The gardens of our heart They whisper things in our minds About fear And about anger And about shame And we can think to ourselves Okay, who am I going to listen to? Am I going to listen to the angel on one side Or the devil on the other? And sometimes when we see like modern day depictions of spiritual warfare, whether it be in art. I know it's so distracting. Here he comes, right? Here you go. Let's let's see him go back in the bag. When we see it, we can think to ourselves, this God and this enemy are the same size battling on this same stage. But I'm telling you, these are not characters of the same size. There he goes back in the bag. They are not characters of the same size. There's this passage out of exodus chapter 8 where pharaoh remember the story of pharaoh and moses and the plagues and the battle And letting the people go and that's a beautiful story And pharaoh's getting so tired of all the attention moses is getting for all the plagues that he is bringing down On his people and he's afraid the egyptians will begin to believe that the god of the israelites is more powerful than him So he gets all his magicians together and he said could you guys come up with something as demonstrative and as exciting as what Moses' God is doing. So that we can show our people that our God is just as cool as theirs. Those magicians get together. They come back to Pharaoh. And they said, all of our power combined does not compare to the power that is in the finger of their God. And, and Jesus would later comment on that same way. The power of God is, strong, is the, What he's got in his finger is more powerful than that snake. If, that, if, if there's something that's getting you all worked up. If there's a circumstance, you, you came here to church this morning looking for peace and solutions. Here's the deal. Stop trying to fix it. Make room for God and allow him to heal it. He wants to do it, that healing. That's why the centurion gets all the credit because he understood there's an order in the rank and Jesus is literally at the top of it. I have a friend in crisis right now and I'm desperate to fix her situation. I mean, I want to have all the right magic bullets and silver answers and... But I told her the other day I said I get on stages all the time and I tell people just like you That if we make room for god that he will come and fill it and I said here's what i'm going to do with you My sweet friend i'm going to hold your hand And when I hold your hand, we're going to make twice as much space And if we make twice as much space, we got twice as much room for god to come in here and heal you and 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 fix in a heavenly way the way that I want to arrange things here on earth. When we have people we love that are hurting, hold their hands. Invite with them the Lord to enter into their story in ways that maybe in that moment they don't have the strength to do. Ask the Lord to come and heal. In the same way the centurion advocated to Jesus on behalf of his servant, advocate on behalf of those that you love. We were... Um, Todd and I work with traumatized children that's the nature of the work of back-to-back ministries and we were sitting in a training a couple years ago and we were talking we were hearing about how anger is a secondary emotion and it sits on top of this primary emotion of fear and the kids that we work with kids from hurt places they often express their emotion through anger and sometimes depending on their personality it's aggressive and sometimes it's passive but it's they're angry about their circumstances and how they got there and what's going to happen to them and we were, the, the, the man that was giving the training was explaining that if we just address anger, we're missing the boat because the root of all anger is fear. And he gave this example. He said, have any of you ever lost your children in a grocery store before? And I'm like, 10 kids, absolutely I have, right? And he said, and he was, he was like, you know, bringing us back to that memory. And I remember I lost Josh on this HEB one time. And I was, when I finally found him, I didn't, you know, I, I had been just panicked for those few minutes when I didn't, couldn't get my eyes on him. When I found them I didn't be like, "Oh, I'm so glad you found the donuts. Would you like some fruit snacks? Like, come on back." You know, I was like, "Where have you been? I told you to stay right here." Like, you know, you you lose control of your emotions because you're you sound like you're furious, but the truth is, at the heart of it, you're really just scared out of your mind. And so we had heard this training, and a little bit later that night, we were um, in the process of building a house, and we were trying to make the really important decision if we were going to put a bathroom in our guest room. And uh, I was like, no, I don't think we need that. And Todd was like, oh, I think we definitely need that. And we started out having a discussion, and then it escalated into a fight. And it started out to be about a bathroom. But like a hot second later, it was about his mother, right? And uh, all the things that you fight about. And he had the wherewithal in the middle of that conversation to make room for God. And to talk to me in that moment. Not about what I was saying at the top of my lungs, but what I was feeling at the bottom of my heart. And he said to me, Beth... What are you so afraid of? And it did take the wind out of me a bit. And then I said, okay, well, like, I'm afraid we can't afford it. And he's like, well, absolutely we can. I wouldn't have even brought it up if we can't afford it. Here, look at all these papers. And as I finished looking at his papers and realized we could totally put a bathroom in the guest room, I was like, okay, well, I'd like some brushed nickel in there then, please. You know, like... (laughs) Like we got to the, to the root of what it was we were talking. That's what the Lord wants to do. He wants space and room for him to be able to get to the root of the situations that create all of these reactions in us. In, in uh, Acts chapter 16, Paul plants a church in Philippi. And Philippi is a colony of Rome. Which means when you walked into Philippi, you felt like you were in Rome. It was like Roman language and money and architecture and schooling and, and influence inside of philippi you felt like you were inside of rome and it's why later paul would write to that very church in the third chapter your citizenship is not in rome your citizenship is actually in heaven in fact in the greek he would use words that would draw that picture he'd say inside of the body that we have planted there in philippi you should be like a colony of heaven should have like heavenly language and heavenly influence and heavenly, heavenly ways of communicating and being and serving and loving and spending and doing and playing like it should be like heaven when somebody enters into your colony of heaven they should feel like they're on the kingdom of heaven on earth that's what that's what making space in the midst of this world that crowds us out looks like and i was in this brand new neighborhood we were one of the very first houses to build so for several like A year and a half almost two years there were no stop signs in our neighborhood because there wasn't enough houses there to warrant them but this august they put a stop sign um two driveways down from my house and i'm because we're at church and i don't believe in any way deceiving you all i'm telling you i came to a complete stop at that stop sign the morning that they put it but later that night it was dark I had the radio on. I was on the telephone. My son was in the front seat next to me. And I drive this 18-year-old two-seater convertible. And the top was down. It was just like crazy. And I went flying through that stop sign because I wasn't used to stopping there. And I kind of in the moment realized that somebody was chasing after me. But I had a lot of other things going on. And i pulled into the driveway. I turned to my son, Tyler. And I was like, is there someone yelling at me just now? And he goes, yeah, I I think so. So, I turn everything off and send him in the house, and I go out in the driveway to see if I had imagined it. And one of my neighbors was outside, and I said, Were you just yelling at me? And she goes, No, that wasn't me. That's the guy that just moved in over there. He's been standing at the stop sign tonight. Traffic safety is uh, really important to him. <laughs> and uh, I'm like, I haven't even met him yet. And uh, I'm like, Oh my gosh, but he was already gone. So, I walk into my house, and I have a house full of teenagers. They were all standing at the kitchen island, and I was like, okay, first of all, y'all, you need to stop at that stop sign. Have you guys all seen that that went in today? And, and then I said, I didn't, and I just upset one of our neighbors, and I'm like, what do you think I should do? They're very creative, and I've watched lots of YouTube videos, so they had lots of solutions of things I could say and do to our neighbor. But I told them, hey, guess what? That's what it looks like. That's how we act when we live like we're here, but we don't live here anymore. We have citizenship in another place. We actually live in a colony of heaven. When somebody interacts with us, they should feel like they've just interacted with someone who doesn't any longer live here. So now what do you think I should do? And nobody really had any good ideas. So I went to bed that night just telling the Lord, I'm going to make space for you to do something in this story. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to fix it, but I'll just make room for you in it. The next morning I woke up and I thought to myself, I make a pretty good chocolate chip cookie. I'm going to make this guy some cookies and I got on Pinterest and I printed off these little stop signs and I put them in a box and I brought a picture. I just taken a picture <laughs> to send my husband and um, I just that, this was my whole plan. I was going to just go over to him and apologize. So I knocked on his door and when he opened the door, he didn't recognize me, right? Cause I had gone flying by him the night before and um, I was like, hi, my name is Beth Guggenberger and I live in that house right there. And I think last night I upset you and I'm really sorry. And then I just stopped. That's all I had. And sometimes when you're interested in God entering into a storyline, you're okay with the fact that you don't know what's going to happen next. You just make room for him. And that's all I had. That was my way of making space in this story and of trusting God was going to do something in it. I definitely took him off guard. I don't think he was expecting any of that. Definitely not the apology. Definitely not the cookies. Because that's not the way we act here on earth. We get defensive and self-righteous. And we fight back, and what happened next, we ended up spending about an hour together on his front porch. he 's kind of a grumpy man, so at the end of that hour i 'm positive he probably thought he overshared with me. Um, we, we really kind of got to know each other in that hour, and i 've since stood on top of that hour as we build relationships like Christmas Carol at his house. He thought it was crazy that the door's open and the cold air's coming in as we were singing at him, you know, but little by little i 'm going to continue to make space. In my relationship with him I hope one day he comes and worships in a church just like this and we can say one day it all started because I broke the law (laughs) but (laughs) but if God cares about the simplest of stories like a silly little story with my, my my neighbor he cares about the most significant stories that are going on in our life he wants to enter into every single part of it and we can trust him to do so we can trust him to move inside of it we just have to be willing to do our part in the assignments that he has for us. To be willing to enter into someone else's chaos. I'll close with this Hebrew word I can't stop thinking about these days. It's this Hebrew word. Um, it's pronounced Haneni. It's used eight times in the Old Testament. But I'll just tell you about two of them here in closing. In Exodus chapter 3, Moses is standing in front of a burning bush. And the Lord calls out to Moses, Moses. And Moses responds, heneni which we translate in our English Bibles as here I am. In Genesis chapter 22, Abraham's walking up a mountain with his son Isaac, totally anticipating he's about to sacrifice him. And the Lord calls down to Abraham, Abraham, and Abraham responds, "Heneni," or here I am. But in the richness of that Hebrew language, "Heneni" really means whatever it is you are about to ask of me. I'm already in agreement of it. And I think that is the spirit with which we can ask God to be God. God, I trust you. Whatever it is that you're going to ask of me, I'm already in agreement of it. I'm in. The answer is yes. I believe you. You are sovereign and powerful. You do good things. You love me. You want to rescue me. You want to come for me and lift me up. You want to execute justice on my behalf and extend mercy to me. I trust that you are good. And what you do is good. Whatever assignment you have for me, whatever it is that you want for me, I am in agreement of it. And I think if the church, and I don't mean this collection of people, I mean a capital C church, if the church today would have a spirit of continued henini, if we'd be willing to enter into stories and make space for God, I think he's ready, at the ready, to come in and heal the bodies that we're hurting about and heal the relationships that are broken. He wants to come and be God. We just have to invite him in it. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you that you tell good stories through willing vessels. Lord, we stand today willing to make space for you, to believe in you, to trust you. Amen. Amen. In the name of your son, amen. Amen.
0: Well, I hope that you can say that this morning. Uh, Beth, I just appreciate you sharing with us. And uh, as she was sharing, it just it just reminded me I've been in uh, Romans 5 a little bit this week. And there are these moments in there where he's speaking about our forgiveness. He's speaking about our justification. And God also tells us how not only does the Spirit intercede for us, but Jesus does too. That when we're in those moments of prayer and we don't even know what we're praying for, that he's got that solution to the problem we don't even have yet. And that we can just trust him for that. So thank you for sharing that uh, with us this morning. I pray that's an encouragement to you. I know it is to me. You know, in a couple weeks from now, we are going to be right back here celebrating something that God said he could do, a solution that he had for us before we ever even knew what our problems were, the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus, it tells us, was given over to death For our sins and raised again for our justification. And so we celebrate that at Easter. And so I want to make sure that you get to be a part of that celebration. So you've probably heard us saying that if you go through these doors and turn left in the atrium, there's a table down there that has tickets for the Easter service. All of the times are the same service, six identical services at four and five on Saturday. And then uh, on March 31st, and then April 1st, Sunday at 8.50, 10, 11.10, and 12.20. The good news is, you don't have to remember all those times. (laughs) You just have to pick one to be here with us to celebrate who Jesus is, what he has done for us. Now, if you come on Saturday, there are also uh, two giant egg drops at the same times as the services, four and five o'clock, where if you haven't done this before helicopters fly over our property and drop out Easter eggs full of goodies for the kids all over Horizon's lawn. So you definitely want to be a part of that. Uh, There will be a uh, small petting zoo as well with rabbits and little chickens, all that good stuff for the kids uh, if you come on Saturday. If you come to the 1220 on Sunday, there is a complimentary meal provided after that. But you do have to RSVP for the meal. So if you're planning to be here for the meal, please look at your 1220 ticket On the back of that, uh, there's a link where you can go and uh, register for that meal. Does that make sense? Tracking with me? You're picturing which one you're at and which pieces of that information you need, right? Um, One last thing, though, is if as you're listening right now, you say, wait a minute, two weeks from now, that's when we're on spring break. If you've got tickets that you don't need, We want to make sure that we have enough space for everybody who really will be here to celebrate. So would you please bring those tickets back because then we can pass them off to somebody else and you can enjoy the sandy beaches wherever you are. (laughs) So thank you for doing that. Thank you for being with us this morning. Thank you for celebrating Christ with us and we will see you back here
1: next week. Thank you for coming.